Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. As we bring it full circle today, a wide range of topics from here in the state of Utah, back in our nation's capital and around the world. And, of course, all eyes have really been riveted on the hearings today in the United States Senate with the whistleblower from Facebook and what she said, what Facebook knew, and how do we deal with all of that? And what is our individual responsibility? What's the responsibility of parents? And what is the responsibility of companies? And what's the role of government in all of that? And it's going to continue to be complicated and complex. I think one of the most important things we have to do is we're still in this phase where let's not jump to the conclusion of a solution just yet. Uh, Because I, I think if we do that, we're going to end up with a bad solution that in the end could actually make things worse. Uh, so let's kind of go back and, and kind of think this through. Over the summer, Jen Psaki, press secretary for the White House, uh, actually talked about some of the concerns uh, long before we knew of whistleblower uh, or anything coming out. And uh, this is what she had to say back in the summer. A couple of the steps that we have, um, you know, that could be constructive for the public health uh, of the country are uh, providing uh, for for Facebook or other platforms to measure and publicly share the impact of misinformation on their platform uh, and the audience it's reaching. Uh, Also with the public, with all of you, um, to create robust enforcement strategies that bridge their properties and provide transparency about rules. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others uh, if you are for providing misinformation out there, taking faster action against harmful posts. So that was Jen Psaki back in the summer. Of course, uh, now we've had one day of hearings on Capitol Hill with uh, the United States Senate. And interestingly, uh, it it was a very united uh, Senate committee hearing today. It was very hard for once to distinguish between the Democrats and the Republican sides of the aisle as they asked questions uh, regarding Facebook and what was going on internally, what they knew and didn't know and so on. And again, I think as we look at all of that, there's a there's a couple of let's be careful moments in all of that. Uh, If you missed earlier, we had uh, Shoshana Weissman on from R Street Institute, and she pointed out very important issue that we have to be careful that we don't immediately just throw a massive regulatory regime on top of this from the federal government. Uh, While that sounds like a natural reaction In many ways, that can actually further entrench and strengthen Facebook against any kind of competitors. Now, that may sound 
like an odd thing, but it is reality. I can tell you from my days in Washington, a lot of the big companies, big tech, big business uh, organizations that have a lot of cash and a lot of lawyers and lobbyists, they'll come in and they'll they'll whine and they'll wince and they'll complain about a certain regulation. But in reality, it keeps them in the strongest position because it drives out competition because the little guy can't afford an army of lawyers and lobbyists. So it almost creates this higher barrier to entry that actually makes things worse because it emboldens and entrenches those big companies because no one else can compete with that. And so, again, we have to be careful what we wish for because sometimes the cure is worse than the disease. Now, we do need to have absolutely transparency. We need to have understanding there is a role of government in all of this. Of course there is. Uh, There's room for all of that. And there's a ton of slippery slopes that we have to be careful of as we go through that process. Uh, We have a whole host of First Amendment issues. We have all kinds of lawsuit and legal issues that can come up as a result of this. And all of those things are really important. And we need to have that conversation. But the caution is let's not be so anxious for an ironclad solution that we say what we really need is we just need we just need a big group of of academics and elites and government agencies to take care of all of this for us. Uh, that will make it worse, not better. And then the last thing we have to do, which I think is the most important thing as we go through these hearings, yes, we can all point fingers and place blame and say horrible, awful, terrible. You knew this was not good for young people. You knew this was not good for young women. You knew this was not good for people in general. You knew this increased hate and contempt and fear and frustration and all of those things. And yet you did it for financial interests, market share, and investors. Yes, 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 we can get through all of that. And and we cannot absolve ourselves from personal responsibility. We have to look in the mirror. Not all of these things are just because of an algorithm. As easy as that would be to just shrug our shoulders and say, well, it's the algorithm's fault. It's the AI's fault. It's the business's fault. We have responsibility, too, in terms of how we approach conversations, interactions, what we post, what we engage in, all of those things matter. Now, earlier in the program, we actually talked about some of the division in the country and, uh, of course, a uh, a viral video, <laughs> of all things, that talked about, hey, maybe we should just break up the United States. Uh, but, of course, the reality is it's not about breaking up just because we disagree on some things. It's how we come together and build relationships that actually matter. Uh, I used portions of a, a talk delivered over the weekend by Elder Del G. Renlin of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who actually gave a great formula, uh, not just for those uh, who believe in the faith or who are members of faith groups. Uh, this was for the people of the world, and here's how he concluded that. When love of Christ envelops our lives, we approach disagreements with meekness patience, and kindness. We worry less about our own sensitivities and more about our neighbors. We seek to moderate and unify. We don't engage in doubtful disputations, judge those with whom we disagree, or try to cause them to stumble. Instead, 
we assume that those with whom we disagree are doing the best they can with the life experiences they have. If we all could begin from that place of just giving people the benefit of the doubt, of just assuming that those that we disagree with are doing the best they can with the life experiences they've had. That changes a lot of discussions. That takes out a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of hate, a lot of content, a lot of malice, all of those things. When we stop judging those that we disagree with as being bad or evil or awful or terrible, we can have a different kind of conversation. And Elder Renlund gave this wonderful example of two countries who have been against each other a lot over the years, Finland and Russia. And he talked about how deeply ingrained that had become, even in his own family. He talked about his father having memorized epic poems that chronicled the warfare between the Finns and the Russians. And then he shared this powerful moment uh, when a temple of the church was to be dedicated and, and opened in Helsinki, Finland, and how the Finns made the decision that the Russians, who would have traveled several days to get there, that they should be the ones to use it first. That's game-changing. And when we can start to look at people not as enemies, when we can really understand how right Lincoln was, that if we are to come together, if we are to preserve a more perfect union, malice towards none, charity for all, listening with a listening heart, and finding the better way. I'm Boyd Matheson. Thanks for joining us on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. And as always, as you go out into the world today, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.